Welcome to my study on understanding the book of Acts. These messages were given live during my regular Sunday morning services. Now, while each of these messages are able to help you as a standalone message, I recommend listening from the beginning because they do build on one another. Now, I pray these help you in your journey of understanding God's word. And don't forget to like, subscribe, and share. Let's get to the message. All right. While they are going around, I would like you to open up your Bibles to Acts chapter 11 and just stay there. We're going to jump around to a few other scriptures, but that's where we're going to land towards the end of our, of our message today. Um, a question I would like you to be considering while we're, while we're talking today is, what are the limits of gospel service for you? That's what I want to focus on today. We live in a world right now where there's a whole lot of things coming against the church. And some of them are outside the church, some of them are inside the church. Uh, in, in a few weeks, I'm going to be talking about this, uh, something happening within the Christian church today. It's called progressive Christianity. I'm going to be, be helping you understand how to identify that, why it's actually very, very dangerous, and why it's not even remotely close to the, to the actual gospel. Um, they say all the right things, but they don't actually bring Jesus into anything. So we're going to be talking about that in a few weeks. Um, but one of the things, as we're, as we're getting there, um, when, we, when we look at what the church is facing, one of the most important things for us to do as Christians is understand our role in the gospel message, our role in Christianity in the world. Because your role, as far as Christianity in the world, is not to bring people here. That's awesome. It really is. But if there's anything that COVID has shown us without any hesitation at all, is that the church has to be bigger than the building. The building is cool, and believe me, coming to, t- to hear me, I don't think it gets better. Sorry, I was just waiting for lightning or something like that. Uh, you know, th- th- there's, this, there's this, this thing we have, to, we have to remember that we come here to be prepared to go there. But we have to wrestle with this idea in our head of where are the limits of Christian service for us? And it's different for everybody, but it's something, it's a question that we have to have in our minds at the very least. So one of the hallmark callings of the, in the life of a believer is that we are supposed to get involved. Now, if you are a Christian, if you've called upon the name of the Lord for salvation, forgiveness of sin, in any way, shape, or form in your life, guess what? You are called to be part of this effort. It's not for the elite. It's not for pastors. It's not for people on staff. It's not for a special group of people. It's everybody. If we look at Matthew chapter 28, 18 to 20, the very last thing that Jesus said to us before he ascended to heaven, and the only universal uh, set of callings he gave to the entire church, everyone who would be uh, encompassing the name of Christ, it says, and Jesus came and spoke to them saying, all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all the things that I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even to the, end, uh, to the end of the age. Amen. So there's a number of things that are in there that we need to be aware of. One, we're told to go. You're not told to stay. You're told to go. Inside here is also a commandment to learn enough so that when you go, you have something to offer. Teach them all the things that I have, have commanded you which means we should be taught first and then sent. That's the way this works. We come to know Christ. We're forgiven of our sins. We learn what it means to live and follow according to his word. And then we go out and we take that same bit of understanding 
to everyone that's around us, anyone who's willing to listen, is essentially how that works. Your calling might be to go to the other side of the planet and preach to tribal people in the middle of nowhere. That might actually be your calling. Honestly, preaching to people in a really hot rainforest doesn't sound bad right now. To other people, it might be spending your time serving in a local church in an obscure corner of upstate New York that is usually frozen and covered in snow. I don't know why that just came to my mind. Um, But that may be what you're called to do. And if that's what you're called to do, you go. And if you're called to go to the other side of the world, you go. And if you're called to leave your job and take another job because there's people there who need you and you know that's God calling you to go there, guess what? You go. Even if your income changes. Because that's what we do. We go where God tells us to go. Anyone who calls upon the name of the Lord is supposed to be a living part of that gospel message. However, that does not mean that we have the same calling. So your callings differ based on what God needs from you at that moment. If you look at 1 Corinthians 12, 27 through 30, it says, Now you are the body of Christ and members individually. It means we're all part of one body. And God has appointed these in the church, first apostles, second prophets, third teachers, after that miracles, then gifts of healings, helps, administration, variety of tongues. He says, are all apostles? Question mark. That means no. Are all prophets? No. Are all teachers? No. Do all work miracles? No. Do all have the gift of healings? No. And my favorite one, do all speak in tongues? No! I'd like to throw that out there because it might bother me a tad. And do all interpret? No. What Paul is trying to help us understand there is that we all have a calling. We all have an area of service. We all have something we're supposed to be doing for God. But your calling is not my calling. My calling is not, not your calling. Your gifting is not my gifting. My gifting is not your gifting. And we have to find a place in the church where we're okay with that. Where we're okay helping other people develop their gift, even though it might be the gift I want, but it's not the gift I have. You understand what I'm saying? There has to be this place where we're willing to serve one another equally, even if we think they're where we should be. Because our calling comes down to one simple thing, God's will. God's will. Where you serve, how you serve, what you do, how long you do it, comes down to God's will. Your skill in a given area does not guarantee you a calling in that area. You ever thought about that? How about this one? Your desire to do something does not mean that God is going to use you in that area. Typically, what I found is if you have a desire to serve in one area and a skill in that area, God is going to, in his, his almighty understanding, use you somewhere else. Which is really annoying. You may serve a little bit in that place where you like, but typically, the fullness of your calling is not where you're the most comfortable The fullness of your calling is usually where you're the least comfortable and the most dependent on him. Because if God uses us in a place where we are more comfortable, we're going to rely on us, not him. Or we're supposed to be in a place where we have to rely on him, not us. Pastor, I don't know what's going to happen. Everything's going wrong. The world is going wrong. I got this. (laughs) No, I don't. (laughs) I can't reach the salt. You know, it's like, there's nothing. I can't help you. I can guide you, I can teach you, 
but you have to depend on God. You see what I mean? We have to understand how this works. One of the more frustrating parts of serving in the local church, because that's where typically all of us get our start, is that there are very few places that are seen. When we look at ministry in the local church, there are very few places that are actually visible. And the problem is, because we don't necessarily get involved with the local church on any kind of significant level, we never understand how many unseen areas there are. So we tend to view ministry when someone lays their hand on you or they talk to you and they say, you're, I think you're called into ministry. I think you're supposed to be doing ministry. I think you're, you know, we need to get involved with ministry. Because we're used to seeing certain things, we tend to view ministry through the lens of that thing that we've always seen. Preaching, leading worship, doing a small group, giving announcements, something that's up in front of everybody. But that's actually not where the bulk of ministry happens, is it? When people come into the church, they tend to be very surprised at how much goes on behind the scenes. When you came into the building today, was it clean? I didn't do that. Debbie and Cindy did that. Was there coffee? I didn't do that either. I plugged the coffee pots in because they take forever to eat up. We have bulletins. Now, how many of you are aware that there is not an angel of bulletins that floats down from heaven every Sunday morning and places them on the stand for us to, for us to use? It's so amazing. I get to see it every morning. That doesn't happen. There's someone in the office, and she's in the office collecting information, putting it together. She's got to print it. Sometimes you print it, and then you get that call. This never happens, right? Can I add something to the bulletin? Sure. Let me just get out a pen. How about this? The pre-service video that you see each week? That has to be made. Those aren't supplied to us by some you know, mystical internet fairy. When Jay and Jill did the blood drive video, they had to come in. That video was, if I'm not mistaken, about one minute and 43 seconds long. And that's because I added a bunch of other stuff to it. That was over an hour of time in my office getting that filmed. And three hours of me putting it together. You see what I'm saying? All this stuff happens behind the scenes. It's it's things that no one sees. When there's a Digging In With Dan video, they have to be set up, they have to be filmed, they have to be edited. Dan has to be sure he's going to live asking people to do all that for him. Every now and then it doesn't happen. <laughs> Hopefully one time it doesn't end up digging up Dan. It's just, it would be horrible. It would be, yeah, it would be good. Any chance I get, I just needle that one. Anyway, so anyway, if you have kids that are in the church, the kids program, the stuff that you get out of the giant mailbox on the other side of the building, Christy has to plan that print that, package that, all the emails that you get, the videos that she does, all that stuff happens way behind the scenes. There are hundreds of things that happen throughout the week that never get seen that have to happen before anyone gets up on the stage, plugs in an instrument. All that stuff's got to happen behind the scenes. Serving in those areas that are unseen has the same value in the mind of God than anything that goes seen. Me preaching on the stage is no more valuable than handing out bulletins. 
Leading a small group is no more valuable than coming in and cleaning the building. See, because God views it as a call on your life, and our responsibility is not to shoot for the, for the seen thing so that we can get noticed. Our goal should be to shoot for being obedient. See, because if we're obedient in things like scrubbing toilets, then God knows we'll be obedient in things like preaching to a few hundred people or to thousands. You see, it's those who are faithful in the little things that God knows he can trust with much. He builds us up to that place. We never start there. And this can become very frustrating within the church because we might think that we're being underutilized. Another way of saying it is, I don't know if if my skills are really appreciated. Okay. Um, Maybe it's because you have in your mind, and I know this because I spent a lot of time doing this, you have in your mind that God has called you to this. I knew more than 25 years ago that God called me to preach. Hated it, never liked speaking in front of anyone, didn't want anything to do with it. But I knew that was going to be my end result. In my head, that was supposed to start now. (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) right. I didn't know anything. I think I was, yeah, I was 20 years old. No. A lot of the areas that I served in initially were cleaning up after other people who were in the positions that I wanted to be in, or bringing them bottles of water, or making coffee, or helping clean the church up after service. Those were the areas that I started out in. And it became very frustrating when I'd be working on something, and I thought, you know, this is amazing. God has called me into ministry. The church should notice this. Boy, if I do this, I'm finally going to get noticed, and all of a sudden, I'll be pastoring the church. No. No, that's not how that works. What I found out to be the most frustrating was usually because I wasn't allowing God to tell me what I was supposed to be doing now. You see, all I knew was what God wanted me to do at some point in time. But in my, in my mind, I decided that that time was now, which is wrong. You see, my timing isn't his timing. And he doesn't answer to me. I'm supposed to answer to him. Sometimes we get an idea in our head that we are supposed to be fill in the blank. Whatever you think you're supposed to be. And the cool thing is you can be both right and wrong at the same time. You know that? You can, have a, you can be absolutely right about the calling of God in your, in, your, uh, in your life and be absolutely wrong about the calling of God in your life at the same time. You might be thinking, that's ridiculous. Let me give you an example. There's this guy, you may have read about him in your Bible. He was really frustrated that his people were enslaved. And it was wrong. And he needed to do something about it. And he ended up trying to free some people. ended up killing someone in the process. And he got himself in trouble and he had to run away. His name was Moses. Okay, now did Moses lead the Israelites out of Egypt? Yes. Did he have his calling wrong? No. What did he have wrong? The timing. See, he decided his calling was going to be now, but God still had, and this is important for us to understand, God still had 40 years of growing up for him to do. God had 40 years of development that he needed him to go through before he was going to be ready for the calling that God had placed on him. 
So he was right and wrong at the same time. We can do the exact same thing. An interesting thing I heard a long time ago is a great opportunity at the wrong time is a trap. Boy, that's true. Great opportunity at the wrong time is a trap. Sometimes we don't even recognize great opportunities because we've fallen for too many of the traps and we've just stopped looking. The only way to find contentment in our service and calling is to find what you should be doing today. Define what you're supposed to be doing right now. The people you're supposed to be working with now. The subjects you're supposed to be dealing with now. And sometimes we're in the process of going and moving and doing. And other times we're in the process of growing and developing. We need to understand that. Usually the things that God wants us to do are way simpler than we think. When Jesus says, go and make disciples, something we need to remember is a disciple is not someone who's committed to chasing a position, to chasing authority, to chasing a title. A disciple is one who is committed to living out the teachings of an individual. So a disciple is one who is committed to living out the teachings of Christ. And we're not to go and make apostles, prophets, evangelists, and preachers. We're called to go and make disciples. You know who makes a disciple into an apostle, a prophet, evangelist, pastor, teacher? God does. He gets to decide who does those things. We don't get to decide who does those things. It's all his choice, not ours. Colossians 3, 6 through 17, 16 through 17 says, Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with grace in your hearts to the Lord. Check this out. And whatever you do, in word or deed, in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving him, set him thanks to God the Father through him. In everything that we do, no matter what it is, no matter if you're just talking to someone or if you're actually physically doing something with your hands, you do it all unto the Lord, no matter what it is. Whether you're scrubbing a toilet or preaching to 100,000 people, you do it all to the Lord because he's got something for you at that moment and you need to find what that is. And we're not going to do it if we don't step out in obedience. Serving God according to scripture is the same whether you're using your hands, your voice, your resources, or your intellect. The difference is in the condition of your heart. And the question that we need to wrestle with is, does God have, now think about this, does God have the amount of authority in your life required to use you in whatever way he chooses? Does God have the authority in your life to use you in whatever way he chooses? Or does God have to meet your requirements first? Lord, I will do anything you want in the areas of speaking, preaching, and publicly declaring your name. Lord, I'll preach. Now listen to this. Lord, I'll preach on any stage. Lord, I'll preach in any stadium. I'll go to any country and lead a revival, Lord. You just tell me where you want me to go. Great. Go to the bathroom. Kid made a mess. Lord, I believe you didn't hear me correctly, Lord. I will go for you wherever. Wherever my greatness will shine for you, I'll go. Great. Go to the bathroom. The kid made a mess. Start there. Here's an idea. Start in nursery. Huh? Okay, starting kids' church. What? 
well, I don't know if I could do nursery. I don't know if I could do kids' church. It's chaotic. They're all over the place. They don't have any attention. I know. The same thing happens in the main sanctuary sometimes. Mm-mm-mm-mm. One of my favorite things, we were talking about this a couple days ago. One of my favorite things is when I'm, we're in worship. I don't have it on me. Um, but if I were to pretend that this is my phone, during worship, I'll see this. Just in case you're wondering, I was out, I was in the back today, so I didn't, I can't pick anyone out, but maybe this is what's going on. We're in the middle of worship. God is being welcomed into the place. We're clearing out the nonsense in our lives, and people are worshiping. They're like, I surrender. Gosh, how much longer is this going to go on? Oh, I surrender. Uh, just, just If he does another song, I'm going to shoot him. Surrender all. We might as well just change the lyrics. Amazing waste of time this is to sing this. What? You understand what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. In all that you do, do it as if Jesus is standing right next to you. You give him everything. Last week, we looked at the life and the conversion of Paul, the calling and conversion of Paul, and Scripture shows us that Paul started preaching directly after he got saved. Paul was a person who was used to prestige. He was used to position. He was used to authority. He was used to being respected. And then <laughs> he met Jesus. And all that went right to the outhouse. It's just gone. He began preaching and no one wanted to listen to him. Can't really blame him. I and mean, he was killing Christians for a while. So that's kind of a downer. You know, hey, I want to bring you Jesus. Uh, <laughs> no, you hauled away my friend. I don't know if you're bringing me Jesus. So God took Paul and sent him home, literally sent him back to his parents' house in Tarsus for 10 years, where he remained in relative obscurity. In Acts 11, 19 through 26, Paul gets called back into ministry after those 10 years when the fullness of his calling actually begins to come into place. We don't know what God, was, what God was doing with Paul in Tarsus, but we know he kept him there for 10 years. Now, here's a couple of things. I, actually, I'm, gonna, I'm getting ahead of myself. I want to read you this section of Scripture, and then we're going to talk a little bit about Paul's life. It says, Now those who were scattered after, after the persecution that arose over Stephen traveled as far as Phoenicia, Cyprus, and Antioch, preaching the word to no one but Jews only. <laughs> that line should tell you about the racial divide that existed in the first century church. But some of them were men from Cyprus and Cyrene who, when they had come to Antioch, spoke to the Hellenists, Greek-speaking converts, preaching the Lord Jesus. And the hand of the Lord was with them, and a great number believed and turned to the Lord. The news of these things came to the ears of the church in Jerusalem, and they sent out Barnabas to go as far as Antioch. When he came, he had seen the grace of God, was, uh, and he was glad and encouraged. He encouraged them with purpose of heart that they should continue with the Lord. For he was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and faith, and a great many people were added to the Lord. Now listen to this. Then Barnabas departed for, for Tarsus, which was further than he was, entitled, was told to go, by the way, to seek Saul. Saul is Paul. And when he had found him, he brought him to Antioch, so it was that, uh, so it was 
that for a whole year they assembled with the church and taught a great many people, and the disciples were first called Christians in Antioch. Christians is where the name of our faith comes from. Now, a Jewish, Jewish believer, the Jewish believers continued to give the gospel to other Jews, but not the Gentiles. They didn't want anything to do with the Gentiles. That's how much they hated each other. But the church began to grow, and their reputation spread as far as Jerusalem. That's actually hard to do in the first century. You've got to understand how things spread. It all spread by word of mouth. There was no interweb. You couldn't get on YouTube or the you know, live webcam and see how things were going in Antioch. People had to carry that message back to the church in Jerusalem. That's how astonishing things were in Antioch. Things were happening. And the disciples couldn't believe it because they weren't there. Do you understand what I'm saying? They couldn't believe that this was actually happening because the great things of God happened when they show up. And that's not what was happening. So they sent Barnabas. They're like, you go see if this is actually happening. Barnabas went. He he was blown away. He was absolutely blown away. And he knew he needed help because he didn't have the skills on his own to do what the church in Antioch needed. So he went to the one person he knew he he could get, Paul, because these were Gentiles and the Jews didn't want to go there. So he went to get Paul because he knew that Paul would. Do we know what Paul was doing in Tarsus for 10 years? Nope, not specifically, uh, but we know a few things. We know that here's something we do know about Paul. Paul was in Tarsus for 10 years after being a Pharisee, a man of high stature, which his parents had to pay a lot of money for his education. They would have paid a lot of money to get him into the right schools in front of the right people. And his success as a Pharisee was also their success as parents. You know, they had a, they had a little sticker on the back of the camel, my son's a Pharisee. You know, I mean, it was, it was really, really, it's going to take you some of you a couple of seconds to get that. It's, it was very, it was, they were very, very proud of this. And their, his success was also their family success. So when Paul came back to Tarsus, his tail chucked between his legs and his head down. His shame was their shame. He was a man of stature and, in, statue, stature and influence. And now he was one of the hated. One of those troublemakers. One of those people that couldn't be trusted. One of them. People who claim that they found the, found the Messiah. But if they had found the Messiah, the Pharisees would have said something. So obviously Paul did something wrong because he got kicked out of the Pharisee club. So when he went back to Tarsus, he went back in shame and he brought that shame to his family. And he had to, now think about this, he had to learn how to endure that in humility for 10 years. God took him out of his place of prominence and put him in a place of obscurity and kept him there for a decade. This is the man who previously was telling Ananias, I will show you what he will do, what he will suffer for my name. He is my chosen instrument. Part of me wonders if Ananias ever told him that. You know, before I came and see you, God told me you're his chosen instrument. There's some amazing thing going on in your life. So go park it for a decade, big boy. Paul spent that time developing himself, I have no doubt. Paul's notoriety as a scholar, Paul's notoriety as a committed disciple would have been known well enough so Barnabas not only knew where to find him, but knew that he was the one that, needed, that would be the, the, the best one to help him. So we know that Paul was still serving the gospel in Tarsus, 
in a place of relative obscurity. How many of you are, are willing to go to, from a place of success and notoriety to a place where no one knows you for so long that when you come back, they still don't know you? Everyone's forgotten about you. They moved on. That's what Paul did. He had to learn how to stand up under that. We know that he was serving, learning, and growing as a believer until, listen to this, until the day the Lord called him out of Tarsus and into the role that he had prepared for him. One of the things that has always stuck with me over the years is that doing nothing and waiting for your calling to fall in your lap is not acceptable. It's not acceptable. Over the years, serving in, serving in, various, serving in the church, I have watched amazingly talented people go nowhere. I've watched true prophets lay their hands on them and talk about God's desire for them in their life, and they go nowhere. Callings are placed in front of them, opportunities to serve are placed in front of them, and they go nowhere. Every single time, I can't think, I'm, I'm, I'm trying to think of any example. I was, I was racking my brain on this throughout the week. I couldn't find a single example where someone who was committed to serving to, in whatever need was placed in front of them still went nowhere. I didn't see any of that. I always found the person who got the word from the prophet, they had a calling on their life, and they were going to wait for God to drop that calling in his fullness, in its fullness, in their lap without them having to do anything. God has called me to be a pastor, so one day, even though I'm not serving in the church, I'm not teaching Bible studies, I'm not actually studying the word of God either way, I'm not trying to learn or develop myself in any ability of leadership, I'm not trying to develop myself as a godly person in the areas of counseling or as understanding and how to lead people in finances. You know what, I'm going to wait until God drops a thousand-member church on my lap because people are going to understand the power of God in my life by me doing nothing. Good for you. Never seen it happen. Never seen it happen. They refused to serve beneath what they believed their calling was. Did you hear that? They, re- they refused to serve beneath what they believed their calling was. I'm called to pastor not clean. I am called to preach the gospel, not change diapers. I got news for you. It's all there. It all gets wrapped up. One of the hardest things that I've ever seen in ministry is when someone you know has a calling on their life and they refuse to serve in the areas of need because they're beneath what they believe their, full, their final calling is. In Joel chapter 2 and in Acts chapter 2, it says, in the last days, God will pour his, flesh out, his, his spirit out on all flesh. All flesh. That means that the purposes of God are going to be poured out and there's going to be people who will answer that call and there will be people who don't answer that call. I used to look at it this way. When God calls, who picks up? Does God get your spiritual answering machine? You've reached George Gray. If this is the Holy Spirit calling, if you've got a church for me, press one. 
If you'd like me to read, lead a revival in Botswana, press 2. If you'd like me to serve in nursery... Mm-mm. When God calls, does he get you? Or is he waiting for you to be ready? I've said this before, I say it again, and I say this honestly. I believe, I've, I've, I've always fully believed this. I believe that I am in the place where I am now because more qualified, more capable people didn't want to pay the price. They didn't want to serve. They didn't want to clean up the cables at the stage. They didn't want to vacuum the church. They didn't want to bring a cake. They didn't want to have to make a lasagna. They didn't want to have to do the little things necessary to build themselves up to the place where God could use them in larger ways. They didn't want to pay the price. They just wanted the goal. I know dozens of men far better at everything that I do who are still waiting for God to drop something in their lap because they're not willing to do the work in the beginning. They want the cake. They just don't want to bake it. In Acts 13, 1 through 3, it says, Now the church that was at Antioch, listen to this, this is after a year. There were certain prophets and teachers. Barnabas, Simeon, who was called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Menean, who had been brought up uh, with Herod the Tetrarch, and Paul. As they ministered and sought the Lord and fasted, the Holy Spirit said, Now separate to me Barnabas and Paul for the work to which I have called them. Then, having fasted and prayed, they laid hands on them and sent them away. There's only two things I want to point, about, point out about this particular section. Then I'm going to pray for you and I'm going to let you go. This is a year after Paul came. Remember, Paul's been serving in obscurity for 10 years. I don't know if he was working in the nursery at the church in Tarsus. I'm not sure what he was doing, but he was learning how to be a humble servant. So he comes down to the church, he's serving, he, he serves in the church for a year, now all of a sudden the church is organized, there are teachers, there are prophets, the church has it together, that Paul has built himself a successful ministry, and then in the middle of a prayer service with his, with his leadership team, the Holy Spirit shows up and says, hey, by the way, the two guys that helped you do this, they're now leaving, and this ministry is going to be turned over to you because I have something else for them to do. Now, I don't know about you, but I know quite a few people who are like, whoa, 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 whoa. I built this. This is my ministry. This is my church, Lord. I don't think you understand exactly what's going on. You called me here and I did this, so I'm going to, I've got the position now in the church in Antioch that I had as a Pharisee, and you're asking me to walk away from it again. See, he didn't do that. The Holy Spirit showed up and said, turn over the thing that you have done to these people, and I got something else for you. And him and Barnabas both said, absolutely. So as you're pursuing that call of God in your life, and you begin to serve, and you begin to work, and begin to, God begins to use you in different ways, and you go from those unseen positions into those seen positions, remember, this is the last thing, to hold that calling very loosely in your hand. Because it's not yours. The success of what you build does not belong to you. It belongs to the Lord. And if he decides to take that thing out of your hand to put it in somebody else's, it would be stupid for us to fight that because every time God does that, he always puts something better in your hands again. 
But you see, if I'm hanging on too tight to the thing that I have, no matter how much I want to trust God in it, if I'm hanging too tight, hanging on too tightly to that thing, I can't actually grab whatever God has for me next. I've got to hold it very loosely so that God has the ability to put the thing in your hand and he also has the ability to take the thing out of your hand because you know that when you have empty hands, if you're a servant, God will fill those hands again. I said this a dozen times. I am here right now because God has me here right now. If God has ever called me to go someplace else, guess what I'm going to do? I won't be really happy about it, but God is God. Is God. I know that no matter what God, this is a scenario I play in my head every now and then. If God calls me to go someplace else, I know the person he's bringing in is better. And I know that wherever I'm going needs, needs whatever it is that I happen to have. See, God moves us like chess pieces because he's in control. But if, I move, if I'm pursuing my calling in my mind, I'm going to miss the thing that God has for me. If I just simply walk patiently and do what needs to be done at the moment, do the thing that is in front of me and do it well, stop arguing, stop being, stop being difficult, stop trying to make things more than they really are, just do what you're doing as if Christ is standing next to you and trust him that he will move you to the next thing. At that point, you are now a disciple walking in the teaching and the understanding of the teachings of Christ. And he will move you to the place that is going to be the most fulfilling for you, more importantly, the most useful for him. And that's really the end goal, right? Let me pray for you. Heavenly Father, I thank you that you give us these examples in your word. You're constantly bringing us to these places where we understand that this isn't a game that we play. This isn't a career pursuit. This isn't, this isn't corporate America. This is the church. This is those you've called out to serve you in deep and meaningful ways to bring your gospel message to the lost, period. Not to build an empire around us. Not to build up an organization so that we can hand it to our kids. Not to, not to, not to, to, to take this thing and act like we own it, like somehow it belongs to us. But this always has belonged to you, and it always will belong to you. Lord, give us the grace, give us the understanding, and give us the willpower to hold these callings very loosely in our hands, but to trust you with every step that we take, every forward motion that we go through, Lord, that you are going to be there no matter how little it is, no matter how unseen the task is, that you are going to move us to the place where we need to be if we just do what you've put in front of us. And we do it to the best of our abilities. Lord, we trust you every day, every moment, every conversation, every meeting. We trust you that you will guide us and lead us in your will. We thank you in your precious name. Amen.